It is my great joy, great privilege to introduce to you two friends of mine. And um, I'll, I'll give you some of the formal stuff, and then I'll tell you what really speaks to me. So Bernard was the CEO of Harmony, um, and he really was instrumental in bringing it into its heyday, Bernard Swanepoel. Business owner, director of various listed companies, including Impala, Arm, Zimplatz, and Extract. Chairman of the Joburg Indaba and the Junior Indaba Mining Conferences. President of the Business Chamber Organization, AHR, and partner in Thinkspiration, where he serves under the leadership of Tracy Swanepoel, who's the founder of Thinkspiration, a strategic leadership consultancy, and she's the author of a book called The Leadership Riptide and How to Escape. And uh, we've been so impacted by this that uh, we as the Rosebank team and the Citywide team are going to have an intervention. Tracy's going to meet with us as some of the staff and um, really looking forward to that. So what we're asking you to receive today is something that we're receiving as leaders. Four things that speak to me personally, apart from their CVs. Uh, we have the joy of doing life and family, and I've known Bernard and Tracy for about 16 years. I had the privilege of being at their wedding. I did their wedding. And um, four things that speak to me. One is the way that they do marriage. And I know this is a business uh, sermon, but it, I just I love the way they love each other. Um, I love the way they do family. And Zach, you just the greatest expression of how they do family. Um, I love the way they do community. And uh, as evidenced by being part of this church, the way they've served as ushers, the way they come and part of Connect Group. And lastly, and most importantly, the way they do their Christian life. So I could say many, many more things about them, but they are the real deal. Won't you give a round of applause as we welcome Bernard and Tracy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Roger. Um, Thanks, Lorex. I think it must be the first time anyone's ever called me a giant, but thank you. <laughs> Let's start off with a prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every person here, and Lord, I just pray that you would give us the words to touch every heart with your message. Through your precious name, amen. It's always a miracle when you look up and see your slides are on the screen, or well, for me anyway, so... So today is the last of the Frontline series, and we're talking about working mindset. Yeah. I think you might have to just sit there. Thank you. <laughs> so when Pastor Lareko asked Bernard and I to talk about what kind of mindset do you need to thrive and be effective in the workplace? We were really excited because it's an area of huge passion for us. Because whether you're a CEO running a huge corporation or entrepreneurs like all of you guys apparently are, or you're a student, a sports person, an intern, everybody needs a mindset to thrive. So what does the challenge look like in terms of a a thriving working mindset. I'm a little bit of a from-to junkie, so this is how I've chosen to frame it. How do we go from feeling like just a resource, I just work here, to feeling like a purposeful, 
passionate world changer. Now, let me give you a little bit of context about that just a resource part of the statement. When I was 10 years old, I dreamed of winning Wimbledon. I didn't, just in case you... (laughs) It wasn't me. Um, But I did get a, a scholarship to an American university when I was 18, I was really excited. I played in the NCAAs, um, and I I got there. I was playing the best tennis of my life, probably. I made it to number one on the team, and for the first time, our team had a chance of winning the conference, the league that we were in. Everything was going brilliantly. I just, just one small thing. I got picked up a little injury, a little niggle down my leg, a bit of sciatica. So I tried to ignore it away, and when that didn't work, I started popping the pain pills, Um, And pretty soon I was getting a Voltaren shot into my back before every match. And that worked well enough until, of course, it didn't. It was the the big conference final day, the big match. I had my usual shot, walked onto the court and started warming up. And the pain receded like it usually did. And then something else happened. Not only was I feeling no pain, I was also feeling no leg. I later learned that was the result of severe nerve damage. Now, you can imagine walking in this condition is pretty challenging. Playing tennis, impossible. But I looked across the court, and there I saw my coach, Chris Langdon, and I thought, thank goodness, he's there. He's, he's got my best interest at heart. He'll know what to do. So I made my way over to him, and I told him what had happened. And his response was, you better stop your nonsense and pull yourself together if you want to keep your scholarship. And you know, the pain of that moment was not the physical pain, or the mental anguish of, you know, was this the end, the end of my dream? It was actually that realization that to him, I was just a resource and not a particularly useful one at that point in time. So I survived. Um, I actually came back and had a spinal fusion. And I've worked in many, many industries um, since many diverse industries since then. I've worked in everything from advertising to mining. I've worked with very technical people, mining engineers and metallurgists and engineers and accountants and arty people like designers and producers and creatives. And also in our business, we're privileged enough to work with CEOs and their teams, also with people on the shop floor and the rock face. And you know, if I had a rand, or maybe let me make that a dollar, for every time... I've heard that I'm just a resource sentiment echoed from that whole array of people. I think I would have piled up more cash than had I won Wimbledon in the first place. So, you know, it's a really pervasive problem. He's very good at understanding nonverbal communication, my husband. (laughs) There's, There's a growing disillusionment with the world of work. You know, if you just think of how our faces go when we talk about work. We talk about it all the time. We stress about it. When we're not there, we're thinking about it. But for many of us, work is little more than a four-letter word. It's something that we one day want to escape from, someday we want to, something we want to be free of. You know, one day when I, when I finish all of this, I'm going to go out and have some fun. In fact, just the other day, I bumped into another school mom in the parking lot, Liesel, and she had a big Uh, She's just resigned from a big corporate banking job, big title, big salary, all all the frills. Um, And I said to her, you know, how's it going, Liesl? How are you finding your new life? And she said, you know what? I couldn't be happier. Firstly, she looked like a different person. She looked about 10 years younger. She said, I'm 
I know who I am. I'm loving what I do. I'm creative again. But here's the best thing. I don't have to wake up every morning and think, who is going to destroy me today? And, you know, sadly, that is not a one-off statement. We hear it so much in the businesses that we interact with. The workplace is a very toxic environment in many cases. So it's not just anecdotal, unfortunately. We, we measure the size of the problem. Gallup, the, the, guys, the polling guys in the States, have actually been measuring what we call engagement for a long time, probably about 15 years, and the needle has hardly budged. What they find is that only 13% of employees are engaged worldwide. Engaged means they love what they do, they're going to go the extra mile, put in the extra effort, solve the problem, do whatever it takes. That means that 87% of employees worldwide are somewhere on that spectrum of disengagement, meaning they are actively sabotaging at, be- at, at worst, and at best... They're just dead weights. Now, I like to make things concrete and practical. So when I think about this, this is how I like to think about it. This means that on any given Monday morning, only 13% of people, of employees going to work, are waking up feeling like this. Which means that sadly, 87%, I'm not going to say of us, are waking up feeling like this. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Just another manic Monday. And on that depressing note, I'm going to hand it over to my husband. So, this is the tragedy. Most of us go to our graves with our music still inside us. But we're not going to allow that. We are no longer going to allow that. What a privilege for Trace and I to be invited to this 12 o'clock service, finally. I think, I I was told there's Kentucky. I can't think of another reason why anybody would come to church at 12 o'clock. But I think Pastor Lareko and John and Imka lied to us about that. It's a, this is such a young audience that it could not be a better place for Trace and I to come and share what we believe. I want to challenge you that even if you are not even 25 yet, some of your deep beliefs, some of the things that God has put in you is already in you. Yeah. Don't wait to be 56 like me to discover what you were meant to do. So please, I, I beg of you, I want us to, uh, to fix the workplace. I want us to go out and revolutionize it and radically transform it to be a place where we can be what God wanted us to be. We spend half, no, half of our awake life, about a third of our life, we spend at work. If you're John, it's a bit more. John and Tracy, I know. I feel like Imka and I, we get the balance better, eh? and so it's the other half. But it's so important if you think about 10 hours a day of your life. You are there. You are there, and you're supposed to be in, 
in your, in your place, your sweet spot. Um, this is oversimplified deliberately. I want to talk to you about how we get daily meaning and daily bread to overlap, that overlap area. That's where meaningful work takes place. Now, I want to talk to you as leaders, but I want to ask you quickly who you are, the leaders. It is obviously, you haven't had lunch, I understand, blood sugar is low. I'm going to ask the question again this time, pay attention. Who of you are in a relationship with another human being where you influence each other? Who of you have got a partner? Who of you have got kids? Who of you interact with other people at university? Because then you're a leader. You've got me. So I'm speaking to all of you. I really am. I'm asking you to think of yourself as a leader, a huge responsibility on us to help ourselves and others to find that overlap between daily meaning and daily bread. Now, I grew up in Rustenburg many years ago, and I remember my dad was a blue-collar worker, a surface carpenter working for the platinum mines. He sat around the table, and he spoke about work. And he spoke about what was happening in his life. When I was in grade 11, he lost his job. It dramatically impacted on our lives as a family. It impacted on my life. It closed all the doors I thought was going to be the ones I was going to walk through. With hindsight, I could see how God opened the door I was meant to walk through because I went and I studied mining engineering and I had a career in mining which I could never have chosen myself. But... You know, those days, you had to be a white male to study mining engineering. I'm one of those privileged people who benefited indirectly from a system that excluded, what is that then, 95% of the population. However, when I came back after I studied, I had to go and work in the mines right at the bottom. And I would never forget. And this is why I say, by the time you're 25, you've learned some deep things. I was 21. I sat in the chains house, the locker room, it was a chains house, with the miners. The miners were typically people who didn't finish school. They left school at sort of typically grade 10. They had to be white again. That was where job reservation took place. In society, these would not be your intellectual giants. I sat with these guys. Often we sat there in a sort of, you know, ready to shower after we've showered. And these guys spoke passionately, deeply, and with insight about the company, the challenges. And for the rest of my life, I thought, you know what? People, if you can listen to them, engage with them, they bring something special and unique. And later in life, when I was the CEO of a mining company, I forever remembered that I am not tapping into the 40,000 people in the organization. Of course, I became a CEO by being lazy, so I immediately outsourced it and insourced Tracy to come and help me with that. So we'll talk a little bit about that. I want to challenge you to open your mind to the discrepancy between what we know, what science has established, and what we as business do. And you are experiencing that, and perhaps you're even doing some of that already. So science, whether it's neuroscience, psychology, behavioral sciences, it tells us what works. It tells us what makes people feel important, feel like they are part of the team and they are engaged. It, it tells us how do you 
make or are part of the 13%. But at businesses, we do the opposite. I mean, and the opposite is things like incentives. We would never expect you to do anything unless we pay you. Come on. That's not who we are as human beings. That's not how you've raised your children. That's not how you interact, hopefully, with your life partner or your wife. So it's all about performance management, incentive, compliance. We don't trust you. So we have to have rules. You will never pitch for work unless we make you clock in. Now, I know you are, a lot of you are on the receiving end of it. But if this does not sit uncomfortable with you, you will do this one day as well. Of course, we really believe there's hope, and Tracy will uh, unpack that in a lot more detail. I want to briefly put up something which, in my heart, is an anchor scripture. So, Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So before I hand over to Tracy, I just want to say, so don't just conform to climb the corporate ladder. Young people, please hear me. Don't just conform to climb the corporate ladder because you might get to the top, but you won't thrive. And God has really put us, where he's put us, to thrive. Thank you. So... As Bernard said, there's lots of research out there, um, but I wanted to pull out this, this piece that I think is particularly relevant. This comes from a Yale psychologist. She conducted, I think, over um, 500 interviews. And what she found was that people see what they do in one of three ways. So they either see what they do as a job, a chore, a paycheck, like I'm just getting through, I'm kind of sitting there planning when my next holiday is. Or they see it as a career, working to earn, also to succeed, climb the ladder of success. Or they see it as a calling, an end in itself for the greater good, draws on strengths, there's meaning and purpose. Now, two very important um, conclusions that came out of this research is, the first one is, it's not what you do that counts. It's how you see what you do. Mindset determines meaning. So you can have a doctor that actually sees what he does as a job, or you can have a janitor that sees what she does as a calling. It's all the glasses you put on. The second one is obvious, actually. Who would you guys guess are the people that are the most successful, achieve the most, thrive. It's the people that see what they do as a calling. Because that's when you put in everything into it. Um, so mindset really determines meaning. Looking at what does this thriving, working mindset look like? What does the ideal look like? Now, as Bernard said, there's, there's lots and lots of research out there. And as part of my book, I tried to collate it and, and pull it all together into this little model, which basically looks at... Why don't you just press the next one? That's it. We want to look at the green. What do we need more of 
in the workplace to thrive? What are the conditions, the characteristics that we need to start creating in the workplace to get people to thrive, to get everybody to be motivated, engaged, passionate? And what we're seeing is that we need more play. We need more trust. We need more love or purpose, loving what you do. We need more focus on strengths, more measurement of progress rather than than just discrete numbers, and more focus on practice rather than just being theoretical about stuff. Now, I'm sure you can tell I could talk about this way past lunch, way past dinner, but I'm pretty sure your tummies are already grumbling. So what we decided to do in the interest of time and focus is we asked ourselves, what is the one thing that makes, out of these six, that makes disproportionate impact? Um, And the answer to that is a strengths-focused working mindset. So that's what we're going to be unpacking and talking about as we go on. Now, what does the Bible say about a strengths-focused working mindset? Well, firstly, we created in God's image. We are unique. Every single one of us have got a unique fingerprint. There's unique stuff that God has put in each one of us that we are meant to discover, to use, to live out our callings and our purpose. And part of the whole picture is that we are part of a bigger whole. We're part of the body of Christ. So if, you just, if we just go through these two scriptures, the first one from Galatians 6 verse 4, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So comparison, I think, is the, the slippery slope to a lot of bad stuff, but we'll, we'll get to that. The second scripture, Romans 12, verse 3 to 6, just as each one of us, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. So that's what we're seeing as the biblical blueprint. We're seeing it from the neuroscientific research. But let's get back to reality for a minute. What's happening right now? And what goes wrong? I think there's a prevailing mentality right now that we need to fix what's wrong rather than build on what's right. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have never had a good performance management session. Please tell me that I'm not the only one. (laughs) Because I've never walked out of that session feeling like I'm a passionate, purposeful world changer. Because most of the time we've spent talking about my abominable IT skills, my complete lack of admin, etc., etc., etc. We've never talked about the stuff that I could use to change the world, ever. Um, And I think I'm not performance management bashing um, specifically, but I think it's indicative of an ideology that we are, it's one size fits all. You know, I don't know who the Star Wars fans are. Oh, thank you, somebody. <laughs> you know, in Star Wars, you've got those stormtroopers. They all look the same. That's what it feels like. The, we, the, 
there's these boxes around us where we are all the same. One size fits all. Now, what does that do to us? It leads to comparison, obviously. What does that lead to? Insecurity. If we all measured on one thing, I'm not as good as, and now I feel insecure, and how do I make myself feel better? It leads to corporate politics. It leads to the toxic work environment that I think a lot of us are familiar with and experience. Being reduced to a number, even if it's 20 out of 10, which is like the only thing I can sort of deal with, is <laughs> but, but any number, it's dehumanizing. It's another person's view of us. It's, it really is not ideal in terms of where we need to go. And, you know, the results of this, this kind of mentality are questionable. Just let's look at the engagement figures. Um, it, very interestingly, just in terms of performance management, GE, Microsoft, Google, a lot of those huge companies that started it are actually chucking out that way of, of managing performance. Um, so the results have been, at best, questionable, and at worst, extremely destructive. I think I'm due to hand over. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'll uh, briefly, in the 30 seconds Tracy left me to uh, <laughs> conclude my part of the uh, um, presentation, talk about uh, what are the benefits of focusing on strengths, your own strengths and the strengths of the people around you. So you do what you're good at and what you enjoy. Wouldn't that be great huh? for the 10 hours of your working life to, to be doing that? Now, in my mind, as a, as a businessman, wouldn't that be smart to get people to do what they're good at and, and what they enjoy? Quietly, I'll say we don't even have to pay them, but I wouldn't say that aloud. <laughs> it's amazing how often people actually do what they really love and really good at. They do for free. They volunteer. They have to do that outside of the corporate space because they can't do that in the corporate space. Crazy, huh? Stay in your lane. For me, again, I wish I could go back and be young and just not ever have to forget what Galatians 6 tells us. Just stay in your lane. Do what you're good at. You don't have to compare ever against any other human being, ever. Because God doesn't do that. God doesn't look at me relative to Pastor Roger, thank goodness. <laughs> Nor relative to Tracy, thank goodness. Nor relative to Zach, thank goodness. The way he looks at me is with the unique, the way he made me, and he loves me like he made me. Clearly, and we all believe that. If you focus on your strengths, that will help you to have the signposts for your career. It will help you to find your purpose. It will help you to build on what you're good at. Now, if you want to play Springbok rugby, you need to practice. You need to train, regardless of how talented you are. So I'm not trying to tell you, Sit back or lie on the couch, play one more game on a computer, and you know, you will achieve. Of course not. But I think if you are in your sweet spot, if you are in your lane, you will know how to um, set those, uh, those signposts for yourself. What we focus on grows, then there are no limits. You young people, you are probably mostly in young relationships. You just can't get enough of her, of him, his time. When they speak, you can't get enough of these beautiful words that come out of them. 
That's what happens when you focus on something. No, it is, really. I've told the story of I bought a new Prado. I drove, I drove a Prado for six years. My son gave me a hard time about the old car. We stopped at Toyota with the Prado. We left with the Prado. Exactly the same white Prado. He was very disappointed. He's currently getting counseling for it from, <laughs> from other petrol heads. But you know what? After six years of driving a white Prado, the moment I got a new Prado, a new white Prado, every second car I see is a white Prado. I just can't help but see Pradas. Silly example of saying what you focus on grows. You can't help but see that. If you start to look at people's strengths, your own strengths, you will be amazed. So break the devil's mirror of you're not good enough and look in Jesus' mirror of you are enough. That will be so simple. Just break the old mirror. We are not superstitious. You can break it. Of course, if you focus on strength, then team and teamwork suddenly makes good sense. I know we don't have a lot of time, but I want to tell you that one of the most profound things I ever learned as a leader was something Francois Pinard did. You young people, Francois Pinard was a springbok captain about 100 years ago. A long time ago. I could just hear, who is Francois Pinard? Francois Pinard famously held up the World Cup with Madiba. You remember? Madiba wore a number six jersey. That was Francois Pinard's number. Way back, I think 1995 or thereabouts. Francois Pinard, a few years earlier as a young man, a confused young man, which wasn't sure whether rugby was the thing or whether drinking was the thing. He got to be, this is according to his own book, he got to be the captain of Den Transvaal. That would be the Joburg-based team. I think today we would call them the Golden Lions. He got there and they had been losing for years. They were not the team they were meant to be. And when he walked into the uh, locker room the first time, he looked at this bunch of guys. I don't know how big a squad was. Say 25 guys. He know what he did. He made every guy stand up and he let everybody else in the room, in the locker room, tell that person what they saw in him, what strengths they saw in him, what did they see that was unique in him. So the fly-off would stand up and one guy would say, I've never seen a guy with kicking skills like this man. And the next guy would say, it is such a privilege to be the center next to him because the way he passes the ball is just... And from that point on, this team went from a bunch of losers to a bunch of winners. They celebrated, focused, and spoke about its other strengths. Now, if you're not doing that to your life partner, you are clearly being silly. If you're not doing that to your children... You're clearly wasting a great opportunity. And if you're not doing that at work, and if, you're, if your boss, if your captain, if your leader isn't doing that to you, just this is why I say you already know what's the right thing to do. So when and as and when you get the opportunity, that's what you should be practicing. There's always a yes, but. So go, let's go to the yes, but. Yes, but. This focusing on strengths and the work environment will result in complacency. I mean, people have got weaknesses. Won't this make you young people boastful and full of you? are full of yourself anyway, aren't you? you know, I mean, you, you were raised so, you know. What nonsense, eh? This is the stuff CEOs say to us. When we talk about this, they say, no, I'm not sure. I, I need my performance management. I mean, I need to be able to tell you, you know, where you need to improve. No. 
the second point, which is so important for me, note, neutra uh, neutralize and make a plan to deal with the weaknesses. This is where team comes in. Uh. Um, and uh, I'm going to actually summarize the next three points because for me, personally, it's only when I really feel affirmed, when I know people look at me and they see the real me, the good me, that I can be vulnerable enough to show my weaknesses. And the same applies in a relationship. And this is not a conversation about a relationship, but leadership and relationship is the same thing. It's in a relationship where you influence each other, and that is my definition of leadership. And so, <laughs> Trace and I, Trace introduced the L word into the business environment, love. And I sometimes introduce vulnerability into a male-denominated de de mining environment. And if they don't throw me out, then we have nice conversations about that. <laughs> I want to move on quickly. Oh. Yeah, time's up. Um, quickly to conclude from my side. So the new pattern that we are saying we should all help the world to uh, take to the world place is we must build on what young people I think have more often 40 years ago when I was uh, out of the school system. We must spend the time and the effort to know and understand our strengths and to grow them. You should unashamedly spend more time on your strengths than on your weaknesses. And if you've got somebody of influence in your life that says differently, hear them, respect them, and ignore them. <laughs> and if it's your boss, do it politely, okay? <laughs> yes, sir, no, sir. I'm not going to do it, sir, but that part you say quietly, okay? <laughs> practice. Practice. This is not theory. Practice to seek out other strengths. You do that through attention. You do that through listening. If you sit with somebody over a cup of coffee, it has to be coffee. Tea doesn't work. It has to be coffee. <laughs> if you sit with somebody over a cup of coffee and you shut up for 25 of the 30 minutes, you will leave there, I almost want to say in love with the person. You will be in love with that person's beauty, their strength, their amazingness. You will. It, 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 it works like that. We do date afternoon regularly to re-fall in love. No? Um, stop comparing. Stop trying to be better off. Just be the best you are, the best version of you. Because in God's eyes, you are enough. I'm supposed to click one more slide. The business case for this. If we speak to business people, we say, so the same study, the same Gallup that studied this wastefulness of not having engaged people at work, the same study then says where there's an emphasis on strength in an organization, these are the results. Now, us people who like numbers, John, I like these numbers. Huh? I could make money out of these numbers. I could build a business on these numbers. Huh? Engagement levels, dramatically up. Productivity, dramatically up. But machines may still replace people, who knows? The important thing, the thing that machines will never replace, creativity, three times higher. That's the future. Thank you. So just as we close, and I know that's usually the start of a whole new sermon. Don't worry, not this time. Just to recap, so 
we've seen that right now, the workplace is anything but a place of thriving working mindsets. But we can change that. When we walk out of the door in about five minutes' time, there's huge hope. There's the biblical blueprint that says don't compare. There is slews of research coming out of neuroscience that shows us the way. And focusing on people's strengths makes a huge disproportionate starting point in terms of achieving that. Let's not forget that as we close, it all comes down to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for us. Not for us to get through our eight to five, to just kind of eke through and get through and crunch through. But Jesus died on the cross for us to be purposeful, passionate world changers who wake up every morning thinking, and I'm not going to sing, this is going to be the best day of my life. Thank you. Thank you.